Have you seen Bad Boys 3 yet? No. You don't want to see it? Oh, you know, it's not, I don't know. Like, it's not in my consciousness. It's not like, oh my God, Bad Boys 3. Eh, especially now, nowadays with Will Smith. Like, I'm not into Will Smith now. Even because of, or was it because no, of the because, slap? Or just because of the slap. Yeah. Really? Like, I've lost, I don't know. Like, I lost a thing for him. Really? Huh. You know, he got replaced. The Rock is going to do uh, like a, a live version of Aladdin. He, he That was supposed to be for, for Will. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> See, okay. Now, is there room in our culture for folks to make a mistake? Oh, there is. There is there room is? for people to make it. Like, well, okay. If they're going to replace him. But, but well, in, in a way, this is one of the premises of the book. So, okay. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. But, but you can make a mistake. Yeah. You know, I think what's, what's, um, yeah, well, I think for me with Will, it's just, it's like a one, it's not that he made a mistake. It's like, it's, it's a 180 on his brand. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's true. You know what that's, I mean, I can hear that. Yep. Yep. That's, yep. that's the thing, you know, cause he talks so much about like mind over matter and, you know, you got to. Uh, clear everything and you gotta blah 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 uh -huh. and overcome and all that kind of stuff and dude says a joke a stupid joke and literally slap you know okay and, and one two him and jada thought they're they're so big that literally he can walk take steps to a stage knowing yeah. that nothing was gonna happen to him yeah slap a guy turn around and walk back to his seat and still talk junk when he got there. and talk to him from the seat and nothing yeah. was going to happen to him three everybody's supposed to know that jada had a condition i didn't i didn't and what are the odds that chris rock with as busy as he is has the time to read a magazine oh chris rock knew oh chris knew that yeah, you chris had a, knew. yeah about the about the hair stuff yes 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 he knew oh. so and I, I hadn't I hadn't read anything that that he that he knew about that. Well, you know and I mean? okay, so part okay, of it, so wait a minute, that's even worse. So greetings and what's good, everybody? Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race ethnicity gender culture politics and basically living while black i'm abdullah muhammad and we are just two brothers in the cornfield living life loving jesus and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets wait a minute when did this change <laughs> the two brothers in the cornfield <laughs> he just made an executive decision I never, I know. <laughs> Two brothers, huh? <laughs> so when did it change? <laughs> okay, so maybe I did make a little bit of an executive decision. Uh, yeah. Well, okay, it was more, it's more of a trial balloon, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because we haven't had Justine for a long time and right. she hasn't been able to record it. So I'm like, okay, did right, we just change right. it? Like, you know. Yeah, no, it was kind of weird the other way. Yeah, yes, yes. You know, so, so she's just been very busy in her other life. Yeah. 
was so. living her best life and that sink life all up in the in the whatever she's doing. And right. so yeah, we 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 might just be two brothers in the cornfield. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so yeah, okay. So gotta come back to the Will Smith thing. Oh, okay. I'm blaming Jada. Oh, I'm blaming Jada too. It's 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 all so yeah, it's yeah. all her. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, she's not coming out good in this whole scenario. Not at all. Not even not, a little bit. Not a little bit. So uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. That we agree on. That's, well, and, that's and for sure. So the whole so the whole thing, oh, like what I was saying is that Chris Rock knew. So because okay. I was watching some some YouTube videos about kind of the history of him talking about them. Mm-hmm. And there's several award shows or several different things where he's he, talking about them. And he's come after her. Yeah. I mean, basically, he has said that she's riding his coattails. You know, her, her ask, <sighs> like, for is. example, like, for example, when she asked to boycott the Oscars, you yeah. know, when Will wasn't nominated for, I think, maybe concussion, maybe. Uh huh. You know, oh, oh, Oscar so black thing, oh, yeah, or Oscar but, so white. But <laughs> Chris is like, you know, who's Jada to be asking to? <laughs> to <laughs> I saw that. I mean, I mean yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and <laughs> like she's had, like, she you know, she I mean, what, what movie studio would put a hundred million dollars and put her name on the marquee right before the slap? Before the slap, none, nobody. And she's nobody. been in some ensemble stuff. So she was. Right. She had her own TV show where she was. And a, that's fine. Hawthorne when she was a doctor. Yeah, you know. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. You know what so I mean? She had her own TV show. She was on the show Gotham. But it's not like she's an A-lister on her own. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, let's be let's be super real, right? That whole family is the Smith family, right? You know what I mean? I think the kids are bigger than she is. <laughs> I like Willow's voice. Yeah, Willow can, she can kind of sing. Live, when they just clear all the production stuff out of it, just let her sing live. I mean, mm-hmm. she's, I've seen a couple of songs by her, and, you know, and yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. I think the kids are. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Anyway, we just got to jump in, soldiers. Uh, so yeah, be along for the ride, I guess. But listen, soldiers, y'all, for real, what's what's good? And welcome back. We hope y'all are well, and we hope that you are enjoying this beautiful springtime weather. And yeah, we are. We, we've been kind of itching to get back on the mic with this one, and, and just to kind of get back into our rhythm. And so um, we think this is going to be another interesting episode and another much needed conversation. And, but before we get into that, a couple of things, one listeners, you might notice the audio being funky on this episode because, um, in the new space where I'm recording, where I'm set up right now is basically on the other side of the, of the HVAC or the, uh, the air conditioning unit. So <laughs> I'm going to find a new place to set up because, you know, the, the AC might be popping on and off while we're recording. And so there, if you hear a little bit of a weird hum or whatever in the background, that's what that is. And so, um, we wanted to get this recording and I don't want to have to move everything right now, because that's more for production than anything else. And so the next episodes will be much cleaner, hopefully, but this one, 
Hopefully you can put up with um, a little bit of that hum in the background and interrupting the audio. Me being a bit of an audio file and an audio nerd, I try my best when we're editing these episodes to have to, to give you crisp and clean audio to listen to because if you're in your car, you have the headphones in or whatever, those little, those little artifacts can just be annoying, right? So anyway, bear with us, y'all. Um, but after all that, bruh, what's good? No, <laughs> you know, if, if people are complaining about the hum or potential for a hum, then we didn't do our job. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. So let's, let's keep people's attention <laughs> to what we're saying and like, oh, all I can hear is the hum and, you know. We might have some persnickety listeners. I don't know. Uh, well, but anyway, no, uh, no, I'm good. You know, things are good. Join the spring weather and it was nice. So. I'm fighting weeds in my yard. Uh-oh. Became strong this year. The joys so, of homeownership. <laughs> oh, yeah, the joys. So, Man. anyway, I'm good. Yeah. Hope everybody's good. So, let's, let's get into it. Yeah. Oh, before we do get into it, one more thing. Oh. I want to start a new hashtag. So, you know how, um, on the, so for, for us Star Wars nerds, there is a, a hashtag that Han shot first. Okay, I'm not heard that. Star Solo. Or Star Solo. Well, look at Star Wars. <laughs> so, Nerd, as it, I've just shown, it comes from the whole, you know, uh, episode New Hope when they introduce Han Solo. He's in the cantina with Greedo, and there's a debate of, over who shot first when they're, they're at the table, like, like when they first introduce his character hmm. and whatever. All that to say, I want to start a new hashtag. It was Jada's fault. <laughs> Will Smith's not getting any gigs. It was Jada's fault. Hashtag, it was Jada's fault. Hashtag, Jada done it. <laughs> <laughs> so, free anyway. will. Free will. Right. Free, free, free Willy. <laughs> free will. Free, free, free will. Listen, Boy, you know what, though? Counts. This whole thing does remind me of like, some of his old songs. Like, there's a song on his Lost and Found record called, he's a, or called Nice Guy. Mmm. Yeah. I got to listen to that. Yeah. And lyrically, okay, so Chris Rock came back at him, right, with, with like, you know, um, I just, I, I got slapped by the yes, wackest rapper did. in history or whatever. Okay. <laughs> I cannot now, wait until he does a special. Right. And he really oh, he's talks going about in. this. He's, he's not. He's, he's recording it now. Oh, is he? And yeah, he, he, he's, he's been doing dates in New York and everything. He has. And the ticket price has just skyrocketed. Right. So yeah, yeah he, he's got to go there and he's going to, but yeah, it's going to hurt. But, and, and I hope, I hope it's, I hope it's the bigger and blacker, bring the pain, kill the message. I think, I think that Chris rock, I think that dude's going to come back. Yeah. I think so, that dude. Yeah. I think that one's going to come back. But anyway, yeah, I was thinking about that song. Uh, nice guy. I will put a link in the show notes, but that song, you know, about just his, his whole pristine persona. Cause yeah. I'm I'm more interested in the backlash than the actual slap because it's going to be some goofy, funny stuff happening that, that I, I'm I'm kind of interested in. But yeah, yeah so let's let's so just let, let's go ahead and dive into it, y'all. Um, so for the last the last couple of episodes have been more riffs, right, of what Andres and I have been thinking about some of the um, just some things we've been processing in our own journeys. And so in this episode, we wanted to provide, you know, kind of some more, you know, our offering is nuance, right? So we want to provide some more nuance 
in the justice conversation and talk about a book that we both just recently read. And um, the book is called Woke Racism, and it's written by Columbia professor uh, of linguistics and some other stuff. His name is John McWhorter. Um, he was in that clip from the last episode with Bill Maher and him. Um, and so McWhorter in this book, Woke Racism, gives an analysis and a critique of what he calls third wave anti-racism. And so we're going to explain what that is in a moment. But before we jump in, Andres, you want to say anything else about John McWhorter and his, his ilk and his crew? Um, yeah, like you, like you mentioned, uh, like summing up episodes 41 and 42, I would say that uh, we were wondering out loud if the civil rights language of the mid-50s to the 1960s is still appropriate. And notice that I said language, not what the civil rights movement was actually trying. Right, not the action. <laughs> you know, is that language still in 2022 language we should be using? So, for example, in episode 41, we talked about Dr. Sheena Mason's theory of racelessness, like we mentioned. So Dr. Mason holds a PhD in English literature, right? Words, right? From Howard. So right. um, in episode 42, we talked about, that was the Black Fragility episode. We talked about how what we say about race can get some people of color, Black people, um, upset. And I know that's a generalization, but it's not too far off, I don't believe. It's not too bar far off. And as we talk about this topic, uh, John Meg Horder's uh, uh, woke racism. So as you mentioned, he's an American linguist. Uh, he uh, has a specialty in Creole languages. Again, language. Yeah, Creole uh, languages. Did, didn't, uh, what's her name, Sheena Mason, have some Creole language stuff in there too? I don't think so. I think it, I think it's you might confuse him with John. Okay, it could be. Okay, right on. Yeah. So he's uh, a linguist uh, with specialty in Creole languages, sociolex, and Black English. Interesting. Wait, sociolex? What what is that? Sociolex. That's like, why. Is it like dialect? Sociolect? I guess so. Okay. He's into language. He's into we'll words. Put that link in the too. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever so sociolect is. <laughs> Just, just making up. He's just right. making up titles, <laughs> right? Um, so again, the point is just language, and that's that's what we're talking about. Is the language of the civil rights era still applicable to twenty twenty two? Okay. Um, so anyway, oh, and he's written for the Atlantic and is the host of the podcast that you introduced me to, um, Lexicon Valley. Yes. So he's all he's all about words. So anyway. Uh, Okay, folks, I may have trouble saying his name. I'm very self-conscious about saying his name. <laughs> so McWhorter is part of uh, like a movement of sorts. And uh, I, I call it like the free black thought movement. Um, and that's my interpretation. Although there is a website called freeblackthought.com, okay, which, which talks about this idea a little bit more and some of these authors are are there okay so um, that's that's good because i was I, when you said freeblackfought.com first thing i was thinking about is that is that like a hotep site uh no 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 okay, okay good <clears throat> all right no it's not no it's not it's not so but basically the idea behind the movement is that there's a there's a diversity in black voices okay it's not monolithic so people like glenn lowry coleman hughes Camille foster chloe valdery 
and Dr. Mason that we talked earlier. And from what I've gathered, the premise of the movement is, one, when it comes to anti-racism, is that the language of anti-racism still centers whiteness. And here's the controversial point, that, and we'll get into the, when we, and we get to it as we talk about in this book, is that most anti-racism work is performative. As John McHorter would say, it's kabuki theater. Right. That's, <laughs> right. that's, quite, uh, that's quite the statement. Yeah. But then point two leads to point three, that this work is not really helping the people that are supposed to help. So there's a lot of spinning of the wheels. All right. So with all that being said, you know, let's, let's just jump right in. So like I said, McCorder says that we are witnessing the birth of a new religion. So what does that mean, Abdul? Right, right. So, so like I said, so just he, when like Andres said, he talks about, um, yeah, the, some, something what he terms third wave anti-racism, right? Um, you know, so analogous, obviously, to third wave feminism. And so the first wave of anti-racism being the abolition and the anti-slavery movement, the second wave being the civil rights movement of the classic civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, you know, um, the fight against segregation and Jim Crow and, and redlining and all of that. And so this third wave he talks about is more hyper PC, hyper politically correct, and seems to be more, this is the whole Kabuki theater thing, more performative and more concerned with teaching white people how racist they are and how guilty they should feel rather than working for policies that actually help improve the lives of black people. So, um, and so he says basically that with this, with this third wave, there are, so with, with, with this third wave and with this new religion, he calls it, you know, he says that we're witnessing the birth of a new religion complete with prophets like Ibram X. Kendi, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Robin D'Angelo, and holy scriptures like White Fragility and How to Be an Anti-Racist and Between the World and Me, right? And so he draws several parallels to religion and what he calls this the new elect language of the left. And so, you know, he said that, says that like the, the left right now is, ten, is more like um, um, if evangelicals, quite frankly, you know, and so he draws some parallels there. And so he argues that this, again, this new form of anti-racism, this third wave is driven by um, some, some sense of, of white guilt and a need for those who've been racialized as white, so-called white people, to atone for the sins of the past, right? And so he he describes this, this, this all-encompassing ideology that pervades every aspect of our lives from the way we speak to the way that we think. And basically that it's that, that racism is, is essential or is an essentialist state of being for, for black folks that white folks need to recognize. And so um, he talks about like this, I'll call it tone policing from the left and the language that we should or shouldn't use and, you know, so like the, he calls it like elect language and uh, blasphemous language. And, and so he, he uses those really strong religious parallels. And so, um, you know, when we use the blasphemous language, uh, we, we, you know, well, we shouldn't use those things lest we be called a racist and labeled with some sort of, of social and moral blasphemy, 
And so um, for this episode, we're going to discuss some of the ideas in the book and our reactions to them. And um, then any implications that they that they have for like the larger justice conversation as it relates to race and like the 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 progressive movement in general. So first, before we dive into a couple of the key concepts of the book, um, Andres, did I leave anything out in the in the explanation of the book or or, or the basic synopsis of what it, what it's about? No, I think you covered pretty much the general topics or ideas that are covered in the book i mean of course there's more to it although it's a 200 page book yeah you know yeah it's 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 not it could be be read in a read yeah Yeah. it could be read in a week yeah so no i I think i think you covered the main points yeah yeah so so first um so yeah so as we as we as we dive in right so there are a couple of key concepts um like two or three that really kind of stand out right so so um starting with this 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 religion idea um you know he he really really explains that so it's not so he's not saying that this new um that that the woke racism of the left is like a new religion he says it is a new religion. Like so, in, in his perspective, he says we are witnessing the birth of a new religion, and and we should really count ourselves privileged because um, even though he has some things to say about that, but just the fact that that we get to witness the birth of a new religion and new dogmatic assumptions and that kind of thing is a really interesting exercise. He thinks, but according to McWhorter, like you know, there's there's things, for example. That uh, where he asks he asked the question of you know what are things that even attracts people to religion in the first place and attracts folks to like to this new religion and you know some of those kind of things and 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 what uh, like what he or like what how woke racism and how the the racism from the left uh, hurts black people you know and so and so you know he his his main his main premise aside from the religion analogy or, or the religion thesis, I guess we'll call it. So his main thing, you know, aside from the religion thesis is that it, that, that it hurts black people because it doesn't solve any real problems, mm-hmm. right? It's just, you know, we're just doing training and educating people. And we have, like he called it some grand teach-in. You know, and so and so we're having this this big national grand teach in to teach people about their racism and their bias and so forth and so on without any um, any uh, real teeth behind what what's next. And so we'll share kind of our thoughts and critique of the book um, on, in the second half of the episode. But, um, yeah, Andres, what are some of the things that you got out of the book that he's talking about? Well, on the on the on the part about the religion. I mean, he puts it in his, in the book, he says, it's not just what attracts people to the religion. He also asks that, what is it that it attracts so many black people? And the way he says it is, he puts it, I'm trying to explain why so many black people are attracted to a religion that treats us as simpletons. (laughs) Right. So he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't, doesn't hold back in, in in that. So when he says that the anti-racism functions like a religion, is it, or at least the the patron saints that you mentioned earlier in the episode, 
he talks about that in religion, there's a degree of suspension of disbelief. Right. Right. There are things that, according to him, there are things that just doesn't make any sense that people and black people are just supposed to accept on faith. And if you disagree, then you're a racist. Yes. So, which is another, another point that he makes about religion. It's like, there is no room for disagreement. You have to accept the tenant and you have to agree with the folks that he calls the elect or you're banished yeah. from the religion. Right. Right. Like he, he, he uses a word I've never heard of before. Um, the, the, the word defenestrated. You know, <laughs> I like that word. He's a linguist. He's a linguist, right? He's, so he's a wordsmith. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he is. So, you know, so, yeah, so you're, yeah. And so defenestrated basically, reme- basically means to just remove or dismiss somebody from any position that they have holding any power or authority or whatever. Right. And, you know, yeah, some version of like some big public excommunication and excommunication i mean that's yeah, that's really. that's that's what it means that's what he's saying if right. you if you dare to disagree with the teachings of the elect you're excommunicated yes you know um another thing that he talks about is uh, uh that i think you mentioned it too like the central tenet in anti-racism is that racism exists and it explains everything yes and like you and like you said that especially white people they have to say and they have to raise their hands, <laughs> you know, and, and say, hey, I'm not a racist. I realize that racism exists. I'm not a racist. I'm a good person. Or I have contributed to what's the white supremacist power structure that's happening today. Right. And, and I'm guilty of it. And I'm sorry. And you must, in a way, you know, flagellate yourself right. and constantly hit yourself and constantly remind yourself that you're a bad person. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, you know, what he's saying. And he gives examples, you know, he talks about, I mean, Andrew Sullivan had to leave New York magazine because mm-hmm. the staff didn't feel comfortable, quote unquote, with having Andrew Sullivan in its ranks. Right. Now this happened in 2020 when all of us were at home. So it's not like you had a physical presence. You didn't have to talk to the man or anything like that. But the staff felt some kind of way, Andrew Sullivan left, you know, and one more point, I'll actually a couple of more things, just that an outcome of this third wave of, of, uh, um, anti-racism is that the point is to make your life miserable. You know so the mean? point of anti-racism it, is to make your life miserable. Is to make your life miserable. Like yeah. If you say something that we disagree with, our job as a collective is to point it out and not like, like you asked about, Will, is there a room to make a mistake? Like, no, you're done and you're out. Like yeah. people must lose their job. But it's not just an anti-racism. I mean, this is what happened to Kevin Hart in the Oscars. Mm-hmm. He said something a while back. Somebody found it. Yeah. And he had to leave being the host of the Oscars, something that he dreamt about his entire career. Like what Dave Chappelle said, he, that Kevin Hart is one tweet away from being perfect. It was one tweet from being perfect. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, one, one tweet ruined that for him. Yes, yes. And one tweet that happened years ago. Years ago. And again, it was a joke. Yeah. Now, I, okay, we're not going to debate the joke. Yes. But it was a joke. 
Okay. And one, one last thing that he talks about, John talks about, is that a, how he equates uh, this as a religion is that this religion has the original sin of you know, the white privilege. Right. You know what I mean? And, and you can't get away from that. There's no divorcing <laughs> of yep. that. Yeah, so. no, that's good. That's good. And so and then there's one other thing he talks about is this whole idea of, of um, he calls it this. So you, you mentioned the whole, like, the whole thing about suspending disbelief, right? And right. so in religion, you have to suspend disbelief. And in this woke, um, and, and I know the term woke is kind of going, is going out of vogue. And even McWhorter himself realized, or acknowledges the fact that when he wrote the title of the book, you know, that the, the word woke came, went out of vogue so quickly, you know, it, it, it did actually, <laughs> yeah, and, but it had been around for a long time, right? It's been around. So he says it's been around since like the twenties or whatever, like even back to like the, to, to the Marcus Garvey age. Right. And I certainly remember saying it and thinking about it, um, years ago, I mean, since I was a kid, you know, the, the old heads, the Muslim heads were talking about, you know, being woke and conscious and, you know, you know, brother, wake up and that kind of stuff. Right. So, and then it kind of got hijacked. Um, but in that, in that, um, woke elect religion, he talks about this idea. He calls it a catechism of contradictions and, and they're really interesting. And the reason why, so he talks about, again, that you have to suspend disbelief on things that don't make logical sense. Right. And so he lists a whole bunch of them and, and we'll put a link in the show notes to like, maybe like an infographic or something like that. But um, so here's just a few of, of, of what he's talking about. So, um, and I think maybe he mentions these specific ones, but these are ones that I thought of in that ilk too. But if you are for equality, then you must be against colorblindness. So if you want to help black people, then you have to hate all white people, <laughs> right? Or if you admit that um, America has been a racist country, then you're unpatriotic, right? Now, now the, the, this isn't one that he says. This is just one that's, that's also in the ether, right? That if you if you admit that America has been a racist country and has a problem, you're inherently unpatriotic. And um, if you if you don't like being called a racist, then you must be one. You know, um, here's a couple that come from the left, especially like um, you must believe everything a black person says, even when what they're saying is wrong. It doesn't make logical sense. <laughs> right. I, I like. Uh, I, yeah, I like some of these. I mean, yeah. So so or um, if you want to help and this is what he does mention, if you want to help black people, then you have to give them everything they want without question. And that we should be, he calls it intersectional, which basically is just a way of saying, I'm not really for equality. I just hate white people <laughs> is, is, what, <laughs> yeah. is what McWhorter says. Right. But no, the one, the, the one that I like, uh, I mean, he's got a, something that I jotted it down. It's like, you must strive to understand the experiences of black people, but you can never understand what it is to be black. Right. <laughs> right. So, or embrace and, multiculturalism, but don't culturally appropriate. <laughs> I, so, so think about these, we're kind of blasting through them, but just think about the, the, the mental pretzel you have to put yourself in, 
in. And, and, and this is why they're contradictions, right? So the listeners think about these as, as we're saying them, because I'm sure you've heard these or seen, like you've seen these sentiments. I, I know you have, because when I look on social media, they're everywhere. Right. And it's not right. that it's said exactly like we're saying it or like the way John is saying it. Right. It's just, that is the sentiment, you know, and I, you know, I'm probably guilty of saying some of these, not without word for word, but some of these that, but you just say it and you say it without really thinking it, which is John's yeah. point. You know, right. like when white, like another one, just to make it, you know, when whites leave neighborhoods with large black population, it's, it's white flight. But yet, if a white person seeks to move into a black neighborhood, it's gentrification. Right. And even, even when they offer a great fair market value for the house they're buying or whatever. Right, right, right. You know, so, so let's just read a couple more of these because I think these are important to the point of what he's talking about, um, about this, this, this new ideology. And you have to accept these dogmatic assumptions on faith. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, his one don't assume that all or even most black people like hip hop or are good dancers and so forth. Black people are a conglomeration of disparate individuals. So black culture is code for um, pathological primitive ghetto people. Mm. Now here's the contradiction to that. Don't expect that black people or don't expect black people to assimilate to white social norms because black people have a culture of their own, right? So don't put them all in one group, but then don't say they have, but, but, but then say they have a culture of their own, you know, or, or show interest. I think you said those, this one, show interest in multiculturalism, but don't culturally appropriate, <laughs> culturally appropriate, right? <laughs> so, so. Yeah, if 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 you're white and you only date white people, you're a racist. Yeah. But if you're white and you date a black person, you are deep down maybe exotifying um or uh, an right. other. Right. Right. Is that right. uh yeah, black people cannot be held accountable for everything every black person does versus all whites must acknowledge their personal complicity in the into whiteness throughout history. Right. <laughs> Yes. No, and, I mean, and, and it's stuff, it's, which is, that's his point, that we've said these things. Right. Not exactly like this. Right. But it's the sentiment. Right. Well, here, and, and, we don't, and we don't think about the contradiction of what we're saying. And right. I can see how some conservatives or other folks can go like, but what you're saying doesn't make sense. And then you get offended that somebody's saying what you're saying doesn't make doesn't sense. Make, right. So here's, here's one more. And, and speaking of the conservative thing, this is this right here, this idea that I'm about to read, that this, this contradiction that I'm, I'm going to read is one of the ones that's driving a lot of what's happening in local politics across the country. Mm. Okay. So here's the, here's the A side of this. Black students must be admitted to schools via adjusted grade and test score standards to ensure representative numbers of them um, and foster a diversity of views in the classroom. Now, the contradiction is it's racist to assume that a black student was admitted to a school <laughs> via race preferences, right? And, right. and, and it's racist to, 
to expect and it's racist to, to say it. the diverse views in the classroom and it's racist to say so. <laughs> so 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 this is this is what he's talking about in some of these cataclysms of contradictions, right? And so and so there, and he he points out more, but this is the point of what he's saying is that is that we have to accept these contradictions on faith. You know, allow people to be who they are, but when they're being who they are, put them in the group and say that they're not being authentic to who they are. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it's not, it's not, it's not that it's funny like you mentioned, but when you hear it put in simple terms, it's, it's funny. And I can totally understand how somebody would look at it from afar and say, this doesn't make sense. You can't have it both ways. I can also understand how some people might say, then you're not helping the conversation. Like right. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. Right. Damn if I do. And damn if, damn I, if don't. I don't. Well, and McWhorter himself even says that, okay, so not only does it not make sense, like, so it's, it's, it's illogical, but it's also ridiculous. Right. And so the illogic is ridiculous and it's further ridiculous that we should just be accepting the illogic. Right. Right. But there's a bigger point in what he's saying also in, in that, because he knows the audience for this book. Yes. He knows that people who, who read, who read white fragility. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to read this book. Um, he knows the book. He knows the people that read. Um, like between the world and me. Yeah, between the world. I mean, anti-racist. They're not, you know, they're not going to read this book. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about him. He's not trying to reach them. He's not trying to talk to them. Because another point in his book is they're unreachable. That's right. what makes it a religion. Well, so they're here's. fundamentalist. Here's the- Here's the contradiction, though. So he's not trying to reach the hardcore, let's call them the, the, the so this is my term. I'll call them woke zealots. Okay. Okay. So, um, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not distancing myself from that, right? Because, you know, I've done years of, of education and workshops and those kind of things. Um, but, you know, um, I too have been for years on my own evolutionary journey about how I think about some of these things. And right. so I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not distancing myself from that, but, but the, the, the interesting thing that, that McWhorter talks about is that he's not trying to reach those hardcore woke zealots, but that's the audience he's writing to. So, so, or, or, or he's, he's writing to, in a political ideology perspective, he's writing to progressives and liberals. He's not writing to conservatives and he himself identifies that he's oh, you know, he calls right. himself a, you know, like a 1960s uh, liberal. Right. Like he says, you know, somebody yeah. like the, somebody from the NAACP in 1960 or so would very, very much recognize and welcome him. You know, and, and, and he's writing to, you know, he's, he's never voted Republican. Um, He's always been a, a progressive or he describes himself as a liberal and, you know, he's writing to the Atlantic re- reading crowd and people who listen right. to NPR yeah. and, and, you know, he, what he's saying is I'm trying to reach my people. Right. No, Some great point. That's can't be reached because right. they're, they're, they're too much of a zealot. 
Right. And that's what I was getting at. He's trying to reach the people that the good hearted people that are listening to those voices and thinking that that's the only way. Right. You know what I mean? Right. What he's, what he's saying is, I get where your intent is, folks, but those folks got it wrong and they're going to lead all of us to a place that's not where you're thinking that we're going. Right. And, and interestingly enough, the people who are giving the book so like a lot of the attention, like to your point a minute ago, are ideological conservatives. Mm-hmm. Like they're the ones who are listening to what he's saying because they're the ones who've been saying, hey, some of this sounds ridiculous the whole time. They, they've said a version of this. Yes. And the come it, from was different. And that's the, that's the thing. That's the thing. But that's what differentiates this book for me in my head. Yeah. Is where it's coming from. I think some folks who are saying what John is saying are disingenuous. I don't think they mean that at all. I think they just need something to hang their head on to get people to go, like I said, in a direction that most people are not intended to go. Mm-hmm. I think this this book is meant, and and maybe this is for another podcast. This <laughs> I was going to say this is meant for another podcast, and then I, then I thought we should create another podcast called "This Is the Other Podcast." <laughs> anyway. See, don't, don't get my brain going. I... <laughs> <laughs> so, but there's a silent majority in our country and most of our communities. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's very loud voices on the left and there's very loud voices on the right. And they're the ones who are driving the conversation. Right. Most people, most good intentioned people are in the middle, in the middle. And they can listen to some version of what's in this book, maybe not all of it, and maybe because of your maybe because of the political leanings. Mm-hmm. But I think most people would be nodding their heads, yes, to some of the stuff. To I would say at least the premise of the book. Um, and if we would start to speak up, things would begin to change in our communities. Yeah, and probably this community that you and I live in right now, and across and across the country, because I think this is what most people outside of the classroom are talking about. Message. I think, lot, <laughs> I think a lot of people are trying to figure this out. Something that John mentioned is that I think we've reached a level in in anti-racism that m- most people get it. I don't, I don't think most people don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people do get it. Yeah. Um, and what he's saying is the guilt tripping, whether intentional or not. And we have addressed guilt tripping in, in this podcast, but to his point is that there's a diminishing return on that, on that lane. That's yes. not producing results anymore. Right. We've hit that. We've hit the ceiling on that. And the more we keep harping on that point, we're going to start not getting the returns that we're looking for. And he's all about the results because he's a pragmatist. Right. Right. Well, and let's come back to the point that you made about, about that the, 
the the poles, the extremes, like the hardcore left and the hardcore right are the ones that are talking and screaming the loudest at each other, right? Um, but that the silent majority is in the middle. Now, and I know that some of my progressive and liberal friends will not like hearing the following statement. However, it must be said that statistically speaking, and by pretty much every poll in the known universe, the majority of the country is centrist and leans to the right. Right. Now, this is me as a political scientist talking, right? And, and I'll put some links in the show notes for you for that too. Now, what that means though, you know, and, and, and we'll do liner notes here after that, but what, what, what that means is that, is that generally speaking, the average American is a fiscally uh, moderate to conservative and, and um, on many, on many, I'm going to call them, I don't even know what to call them, but um, on many social issues, they are, they are progressive and conservative at the same time. Right. So, so, so for example, there are a lot of folks, and this is a whole other can of worms. I'm not going to open. I'm just going to mention it. There are a whole lot of folks that are vehemently pro-life. Now, now this is not the polls. It's the people in the silent majority. There are a lot of folks who, who, who are pro-life, but they're also live and let live. Right. And so, and so the, all the nuance and complications are in the middle. It doesn't mean that if someone is, you know, who, who has that perspective, they're going to try to shut down laws and that kind of thing. So, but my point in these statements is that um, the, the, the majority of who we are as a country are, we're pretty centrist and we, and, and, and we think, you know, let's say conservatively about some things and we think progressively about some things and those things differ from person to person, but there is a basic bandwidth of what those things are. Right. Right. So. Let's learn our notes. All right. So we're going to take a break from the conversation and we're going to give uh, our brains a little bit of a rest with a little lighter side of the podcast. We call that lighter notes, which is just stuff that just gives us life, gives us energy. Just breathe in something, something good, you know, yes. as opposed to just have to burn so many uh, brain cells into <laughs> topics like anti-racism <laughs> so what's yeah. uh what's on your mind well okay i i do have a really good liner note but i wanted to actually talk about the liner notes themselves so when we started this segment oh, um yeah. at the beginning of the podcast right you know so for those of you who don't know what a liner note is um that is, if you read the jacket of a CD or or a cassette from back in the day, you may have to explain or, what a CD or a cassette is. Well, cassette for sure, <laughs> CD. I don't know, you know, <laughs> but that's all of the acknowledgments and the shout outs and the this and the you know, like the song lyrics and all that stuff that's inside of the record itself. Um, but liner notes became a thing with 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 albums, right? Um, and so. Like you have that big canvas to put all those liner notes on. That's where the segment comes from because we're old school. But I wanted right. to mention it mainly because, because vinyl and cassettes are making a bit of a niche comeback. They are coming back. So you yeah. can find stores now. And now you, you can go to like uh, Barnes and Noble and you can find album collections now, mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, and so, yeah, so for those of us who still have our albums or some of our albums and, you know, who love that medium and love the purity, like the purity of that sound, you know, that that's coming back. So liner notes are coming back with those too. So now a liner note is, is a thing that's growing maybe less and less obscure. So just wanted to kind of point that out, but my liner note, um, is, is <laughs> this liner note might, might give me a little bit of trouble. Oh, wait, that's not the point of letter. That's what the rest of the show is for. But it gives me life. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So my liner note is Dave Chappelle's stand up the closer. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was a prophet. He was. So he was. And, and, you know, and it's, I like it for so many reasons. But one of the things I, one of the reasons why I like it and it's, and it's germane to this conversation on woke racism mm-hmm. is, is that, is that, um, free speech for so long has been on the assault from the right or, and now free speech is on the assault from the left mm-hmm. and there's there, you know, but I think it's funny. I think it's, well, I think it's, just, it's, it's insightful. And so like, you know. At this point, Chappelle's turned into a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's not like ha ha knee slapping no. funny. Some of that's some of what he says is is, right. is hysterical. Like I've right. laughed out loud on a few different things. Right. But but some of what he, but but his his style of comedy is very intellectual, very fearless, very kind of broad based, and it's just it's it's jazz. You know, it's it's improvisation within a set of principles. And so I like it for that. And so, and so that, like just that idea of people, so the, so the closure itself gives me life, but then the idea that you can stand there and declare, and this is what we're talking about with this whole thing, declare your truth as you see it is both being lifted up in some circles and is on the assault in the same circles. Right. right. So probably as we speak. Um, based on the time that we're recording, there are people outside Supreme Court Justice's house right now, right now, protesting what the justices are supposed to be doing, whether you agree or not, and that's fine, but you're going to people's houses. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you're criticizing what happened on January 6th. So, yes, you can't have it both ways, folks. Right. So, brain cells, liner notes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, here we go again. That. Yeah. Now, okay. So, here's the thing that I like about it too: the way that the, the he closes the show mm-hmm. is savage because he ends it with Gloria Gaynor's "I Will Survive." Yeah. Read the lit. Read the lyrics. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I like. Oh, this dude. This this dude's a savage. Yeah. <laughs> I just point. said this. I just said this. I'm gonna be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be I. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, you know, the only the only song that maybe would have arguably been equally or the or better is Boys to Men's "Doing Just Fine." There's a song on on the okay. Boys to Men album uh, "Evolution," and the lyric okay. basically is, "I'm doing just fine. Time made me stronger without you in my life. I don't need you in my life." 
I'll put that I'll yeah. put that in the thing show notes too because it's a ballad. <laughs> I kind of wondered. Voice the yeah. so, so anyway, that's that that, that was a long yeah. one. That's my lot of notes. Mine, mine, mine is mine's good. Of course, it gives me life, you know. But hey, it's about one of my kids. <laughs> really? It's about your kids. Really? Uh. <laughs> so at the time of this recording, it's on a Sunday on on the sports section. There's there's uh, the baseball player son of mine, <laughs> you know. Yep, he's a senior getting ready to graduate and move on. Um, but no, it was you know proud papa moment. See your kid in the in the hometown paper. That's dope. You know, getting interviewed and that kind of stuff. So you know, I mean, I've always told him, you know, there's nothing you can do that can make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do that can make me love you less. That kind of stuff. But it's good uh -huh. to see stuff like that. You know, it it's is. Nice. It's cool. not like oh, I don't love you because you're on the paper, but you know, yeah, it's and it's pretty cool to see the name Amador on the paper. In the paper. So that's uh, that's me. That's my liner note. Just a little, just a bragging on the kids. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good liner note. See? Because kids, yeah, our kids give us life. So that's, yeah, that's that's and They're that's moving dope. on, you know, they're getting older and they're starting to make their way in the world. Uh -huh. and, and the time with them is shorter and shorter and shorter. And shorter, and shorter and shorter and shorter. You know, have kids that have grown up and left know exactly what that's like yep. and we're on the front end of that we are on the we are in the battle lines of that right now you know, well you've been well you you well you you're, you're you're feeling that way with all your kids you know round one round two yes moving on to round three yeah four. so i'm i've been in it now for about five well since 2016 right right yeah. right right so yeah. no i mean whoever said it's 18 summers right that? absolutely right it's a profound thought. You get 18 summers with your kids. 18, 18 summers. summers. That's, that's what you got. Yes. All right. So just let's get back into it. Okay. So the first half of the, of the episode, we talked about well, the first part, not the first half. Um, but the first part of the episode, we talked about specifically um, the, the book and the ideas of the book. And so we wanted to give you what, what we thought was an, uh, an unvarnished explanation of the book. And so um, in, this, in, this, in this part, we're going to just discuss more about what we think about the book. And so we wanted to separate our opinions from our critique and the larger discussion, basically to be as honest as we can about what the book is so that you can decide for yourself if you want to read it. Um, and so now this is the section where we might campaign again, resume our campaign to lose our black cards. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so now we haven't discussed this with one another. So I'm very curious to your yeah. point, but it's very interesting that you said that. <laughs> right. So, so, but, but seriously, so just, if you do want to, we haven't lost it already. We have right. People are like, yeah, no, give me that black card dog. You, yeah, you know, you, you know, sold out. Something happened, something happened to you, but, yeah. but listen, if you do want to read it, we're gonna try a little something new. Sorry, bro. This might be a bit of an executive decision. I don't know. <laughs> we'll try a little something new. I'm gonna drop an affiliate link in the show notes. So if you're gonna buy the book anyway, and if our synopsis of it leads you to want to buy the book using that link, we'll help out the show. All right. So how's that, bro? No, that's a great idea. I can't believe we didn't think of it. I don't know why we did before. But, this. No, right? I mean that's that's a great idea. I love it. So right. Yeah. So um who wants to go first with the critique of the book? <laughs> well, uh, let me start with a few points. 
and then you know you go and then maybe just riff back and forth okay so i think because you mentioned if people sh should or decide to read the book i think i think people should read the book yeah um, but here's here's the caveat you should be an honest skeptic about it about this subject okay that's really good yeah that's really good you know what i mean because if you're uh, like there's a reviewer on the washington post named ellie uh, mistal i hope i'm saying that right you if, if that's your thinking then you know don't bother with the book because you know it, you're gonna be wasting your time because or you're gonna be mad you're gonna throw the book you're gonna burn it you might use it as a as a paperweight you know so so take this review reviewer who, who wrote uh mcwarder will probably get what he wants assuming that what he wants is the opportunity to chat with aggrieved podcast hosts <laughs> i mean <laughs> wow you know this book here's another one from the same review this book will be a pleasing bedtime story to a certain kind of white person who is looking for a magic black person to tell them what they want to hear <laughs> if, if you already have that opinion of john um then you know don't don't read the book because what's the point yeah okay um anyway all right so my critique of the book or my review of my thoughts on the book i really wish he had not used the word religion um first of all obviously he's using religion in the negative sense mm -hmm. you know obviously he is no fan of religion <laughs> that's pretty clear you know when he's when he writes things like of course the quote-unquote race thing catechism of contradictions makes no sense but neither does the bible <laughs> yes you, you know uh you know you don't have okay i get it you don't you don't like religion um another thing though is that he does like you mentioned he does have praise for the civil rights era and he considers himself if he were around in you know an adult in that era he would be part of it or at the very least he appreciates it mm -hmm. but the irony or his own contradiction is that civil rights movement came from the church by believing in the same book that he calls illogical right <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i do i do i do i do so so and 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 third on on the religion part i really wish he hadn't used that term because for I, and it's hard for me to believe that he hasn't studied at the very least christianity enough to then criticize it i think he has a stereotype of it i think he has some kind of idea but it's i don't know it looks like it's just pretty thin um so that's one thing and then the fact that he's using religion and try to equate anti-racism with religion it it actually is diminishing from the point that he's trying to make because if you do see him when you hear him in interviews well at least the, the few that the few that i've looked and read and heard a lot of time is spent on the religion side of his argument 
He makes another argument in that this third wave anti-racism movement is not helping black people. And quite frankly, that's the stronger argument. And that's the, that is the strong, that's the strong argument. argument. That's the strongest argument. That's yeah. the one when you go like, you nod your head, like, you know, when you stop and think about it, like he's so right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it does kind of make sense. You know what I mean? Um, anyway. It, yeah. So I, I, and maybe, yeah, if he, if there's a second edition, he might reconsider just renaming or just a, a, a better argument or not a better argument. Just, just get away from the whole religion thing. You would have made your point better without it. Actually. I, I think. Yeah. All right. So, so this, go ahead. No, you first. go ahead. Okay. So what I was going to say was this might be the segment where maybe my black card starts getting revoked and then we'll listen to yours. All right. <laughs> so when, okay. when you take away that, Oh, what? No. So we, we, we mentioned the title is woke racism at the, at the beginning of the episode. We, we never gave the full title. So listeners try about that. So the full title oh, of the episode true. is so woke racism subtitled how a new religion has betrayed black America. Okay. So yes. that's the title of the book. Yes. So, yes, yes, yes. yeah. So, so apologies for he not could, saying true. that up top. He could have just said the betrayal of black America and just don't even talk yes, about it. But he also religion. wants to sell books is less compelling. Yeah, true. Very yeah. true. So but anyway. Okay. So, right. so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the religion illustration. So um, I'm just going to say just first, just to be up top about it. I actually liked the book. So mm -hmm. um, I actually really liked the book. And, and, but, you know, um, I, I want to be clear about why I liked it. So I liked it because I agree with the core premise that, um, or, 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 so let's take the, I want to, I want to talk about the, the religion thing here in a minute too. Let's table that for a second. But I agree with kind of his core premise that like liberals or progressives have gone too far, um, and seem to have, you know, kind of wandered into like what, what he and others have called like the one true opinion right um about what is and what isn't racism and and maybe like some set of dogmatic assumptions and so and so i liked that about the book and i'll say more about that here shortly but um when i think about the religion illustration i kind of i do kind of go back and forth over like thinking that it's too overblown you know um um you know, and and like we said before, McWaters that doesn't say that this is like a new religion. He said it's, he says it. He said it is a new religion, right? Um, and 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 again, I agree with the like these dogmatic assumptions that I'm going to call them. But um, and and these assumptions, like I I said about Dave Chappelle's cl the closer in their liner notes, these assumptions are what got him in trouble, right? He crossed the line, you know. Um, and so, but. I think that I think that the religion thing is overblown also because he talks about um so there there's no god figure. Okay, so there's an original sin, right? The the original the, the mm -hmm. original sin of white privilege, right? And there are prophets, you know, there's um holy scriptures, <laughs> right? So between the world and me and white fragility and how to be anti-racist and that kind of thing. Um, and but like you, I I see this as a way for him to poke fun at religion because he's an atheist. Right. You know, and so um, now take this for what it's worth, because this is coming from from the mouth of an atheist. And and, you know, 
I believe that context matters. And he's not like a frothing at the mouth atheist, but he doesn't have to be. You know, right. he doesn't he he doesn't agree or espouse or agree with the philosophy of religion. He, he he doesn't agree with the idea that a logical person should suspend disbelief to something on faith. Right? That's just not where he is, right? Now, for those of you who are Christians, well, well, for those of you who are, let's say, religious or some sort of a theist or whatever, but especially for those of you who are Christian. Don't let that turn you off from not reading the book. Right. Right. That's what I said that people should read the book anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So don't just, well, yeah. he's not be, Christian, so I'm be, not going to read it. Right. Be, be, uh, I don't have any other way of saying it. I mean, just be open-minded enough like, okay, I get it. John, you don't like religion. Right. Got yeah. it. Point right. taken. Right. <laughs> so I do, I do agree that the religion, the um, thing you know, so it, it it may be overblown, I'm not sure, but I do think that, okay, at least consider the source on that part. But the stronger argument is that there's that that this third wave of anti-racism isn't really doing now. What he's saying is that it's not doing anything for black people. Now, that's not entirely accurate. Right. Okay, so right. that's a critique I have. Also, that's not entirely uh, entirely accurate. So, so um, these trainings and getting people now, my my workshop and my work is not predicated on getting somebody to stand up and declare their white guilt, or it's not predicated on saying that all white people are racist. That's not where I go at all, but it's predicated on recognizing. That racism is there and recognizing our bias and then doing something about it in our jobs and in our systems. And so there are plenty of not just people who do what I do in, in, in workshops and everything, but there are plenty of people who are who are doing work to impact policy. And so in that regard, they're doing things to make black people's lives better. So I think that is a bit of an oversimplification that, and he doesn't really acknowledge th that work in his book. He talks about um, that he understands that there's like he's he's not he's not um, he's not saying that racism does, doesn't exist, right? Right. He, and he does acknowledge systemic. Yes. So he yeah he full throated believes that racism exists, and he full throated believes that systemic yeah. racism exists. Right. That's the thing that that's the thing that when he gives interviews that he gets probably a little bit upset about. It's like. Oh, you think you're not paying attention. Yeah. You think that I don't think that there is, there isn't, you think that I think that there isn't systemic racism. No, no, no. Right. I, there is. Right. <laughs> right. And so, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's um, another, another one of the critiques that I have is just that there is actual policy work that is being done all over the place at all levels, local, state, city, national, there's plenty of policy work being done. But what he would say, though, is that it's not coming from the prophets of anti-racism, at least not the ones That's the that are there. You know, it's not coming from D'Angelo. It's not coming from Kendi. And I want to talk a little bit about that yeah. in, in my critique. Go ahead. You know, yeah. It's not, it's, it's not, you know, it's not coming, uh, you know, to be fair, we're, we're fans of the show. But if I look back on it, I don't hear policy talk from Jamar Tinsby and 
uh, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his Halliburton. Um, so the Pastor Mike. on um, Pastor Mike. Yeah, yeah. And There's we, a lot of criticism right. of how and things are and systemic racism, you know, systemic racism and that kind of stuff. But I don't hear, okay, what's your proposal on how to make black people's lives better? Right. To be, if we, if we I mean, if we're going to be fair, let's be fair. And so I think honestly, I think that's his point that the superstars, the people that the media has elevated to profits, they're not proposing policy changes. Right. And that so that's my biggest beef. My my biggest beef is at is for me at my core, I'm a pragmatist. Right. You're a I strategist. And a strategist. I want to see problems get solved. I have zero interest in spinning around talking about the problems. I don't give a damn. I just don't. You know, I want to. So if you give me a problem, give me a proposed solution. Especially if you keep mulching over the problem. Correct. You know, and so, and so that. So I, you know, so I agree with that critique of, of we have the superstars then they're talking about, you know, um, just, yeah, here's, here's all this stuff and here's the history and here's all that. But then there's no next step. Okay. Okay. So what do we do next with policy? Right. And right. even, and even when there's a proposal, it's so unrealistic that it borders on laughable. Right. And by that, I'm going to. Here's, I'll jump into my example. So, and I, this kind of blew my mind actually. Um, so, Imram Kindi mm-hmm. made a proposal, and I'll put that proposal in, in the show notes. And I'm just going to read, I'm just going to read like the first, like probably the preamble of what he said. So, just bear with me for a little bit. Okay. Okay. So, he wrote, to fix the original sin of racism, Americans should pass an anti-racist amendment to the U.S. Constitution that enshrines two guiding anti-racist principles. One, racial inequality, inequity, racial inequity is evidence of racist policy and the different racial groups are equal. The amendment would make unconstitutional racial inequity over a certain threshold, as well as racist ideas by public officials with racist ideas, in quotes, and public official, in quotes, clearly defined, just not here. It would establish and permanently fund the Department of Anti-Racism, the DOA, which is comprised of formally trained experts on racism and no political appointees. The DOA would be responsible for pre-clearing all local, state, and federal public policies to ensure they won't yield racial inequity, monitor those policies, investigate private racist policies when racial inequity surfaces, and monitor public officials for expressions of racist ideas. The DOA will be empowered with disciplinary tools to wield over and against policymakers and public officials who do not voluntarily change their racist policy and ideas. End quote. How do you do that without infringing somebody else's civil rights? I mean, you can't do civil rights and infringe on another person's civil rights. We're going to have to put an explicit label on this episode. <laughs> no, I, I'll, that's I'll, bullshit. I'll, I'll send you the link so you can read it, the yes. whole thing, and then we'll put that in the show notes because 
that's what drives, that's what these folks, you know, like Porter and, and, and Glenn and all these folks are like, okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is your solution. Right. And okay. So your solution is more, okay. So, and this is me talking as, you know, this is part of my, I've said before, I'm, I'm more of a moderate to, um, um, you know, I, I want government small. And I want it only big enough to help people act right. <laughs> right no. now, this is, I'm going to call this like, this is some McCarthyism stuff right here. Like this, this is, is right. This but is, that, but yeah, here's this the is, thing, no, no. but Trump is the authoritarian, which he is, but you can't, again, right. it's the contradiction that John keeps talking about. How, and then how there's do you propose this. this? And then there's this, his proposal makes his ignorance of the constitution glaringly clear. So here's what I mean. <laughs> yes, Soldiers, yes. the constitution is a, and you can look this up on your own. I'll put some links or whatever, but the constitution is a negative law document. Okay. It's a negative law document. Congress shall well, in the constitution. Not. Congress yeah. shall not make or shall make no laws respecting the establishment of a religion or Congress shall not do this or, or, or shall, right? So the, so the, the constitution is a negative law document. It assumes there are a couple of rights we have to enshrine and protect. And then everything, cause it's what it says in the constitution, everything not explicitly stated is reserved to the states. And by extension, also Congress, right? So you don't need a constitutional amendment that enshrines that you can basically, you set a precedent that we can come after you for anything that we don't like. Now, what happens when you're on the other side of that coin right. and they're coming after you? Right. So now, to be fair, this was 2019 and this, okay, this stopped me in my tracks. I have to be fair. If there's a retraction from this, from him, and I find it, we'll definitely put it on the show notes. Cause I don't God, want, I hope there is, I, I hope there is, I hope he's backed away from this, but I don't think so. Yes. Okay. So, so okay. Okay. Let me, let me do a little bit more of the critique just right, go ahead. Of, of the book. Um, like with you, I, I agree with the premise of the book. I do think that in general terms, the third wave anti-racism racism really is more preoccupied with policing and regulating behavior. <laughs> we kind of just proved that, mm -hmm. you know, and not so much about real policy that really helps people now. Right. You know, right. To, to McWhorter's credit, he does propose a few things for actually policy change. He does. He does. You know, and you know, you would be surprised. Mm -hmm. One, and the war on drugs. That kind of just oh okay. Yeah. You know, uh, now the next two I've thought about, but you know, I, I was kind of surprised that it came from in two. The other one is just like, look, college is not for everyone. We should make vocational education free and effective. Because that right. will help the black community. Right. Okay. Yep. And, and the last point that he makes is teach phonics. The way that we're right. teaching our kids, he disagrees with the way we teach our kids to read. Uh -huh. 
now, which as a linguist, he has ultimate credibility to be able to say that. Right. You know, so um, I agree. And again, these are general, these are general generalities that I'm making. I do think that the point of third wave anti-racism is to raise your hand and just prove that you're not a racist. Or point to who is. Or point to who is. So yes, and 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 that's so my in the larger my critique of the larger conversation of 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 what he's pointing to, not not the book itself, is yeah that that we have we have entered a an era, and I'm going to call it McCarthyism from the left. Mm, that's strong. So so yeah, this this is so this is what like this is what got Dave Chappelle in trouble. Yeah. Right. So, so, so like he talked about, um, what the, the, and he went here and I'm just going to say it right. Because, because I, I think it's true. So, um, that progressives, for example, can say anything and everything about so-called white men. Right. Mm-hmm. But we dare not say anything at all against like a, a black, about black folks or, or specifically the LGBTQIA plus community, you know, like Dave Chappelle says, like, you know, he, he jokingly says, thou shalt not piss off the alphabet people. Right? right. Now, he's right. Now, he's not saying, hey, I, I don't think that LGBTQ folks don't have equal dignity and shouldn't have equal rights. Right. Like, right. And, 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 and he's, he's not pronouncing any judgment whatsoever about LGBTQ folks, and neither am I. But I am saying that he's absolutely right in saying that we have entered this this era. So Joe McCarthy, for those of you who don't know, was a senator from Wisconsin in the 1950s during the whole Red Scare when communism was at its height, and we had um, you know he was the leader of the of the House Un-American Activities Committee. Okay, and he had a quick rise and a quick fall, basically pointing out communists. And we have entered this, this, this phase in our society where we are preoccupied with pointing out racists and we are preoccupied with pointing out um, uh, anti-queer folks and homophobic folks and transphobic folks. And, and I think that's, that's where we have gotten. And, and quite frankly, I think that's the critique that, that McWhorter is giving, that these right. just pointing things out and performing that, hey, I'm anti-racist, and and I think even by extension, you can say I'm, you know, hey, I'm 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 pro-LGBTQ. By pointing out that, if we're, you know, if if we're saying those things, he just calls them one big virtue signal, right, right, and so, so, so that's yeah. the whole point that there's nothing else behind it, nothing else behind it, right. So so I would ask, yeah, if you were pointing out. You know what is and what isn't racist behavior. Yeah, what exactly are you doing to help make Black folks' lives better? Mm-hmm. Right? And so, so yeah, so that that's a, that definitely is a is a critique that I have. Um, here's one more that I have. The the self flagellation, like you as you as you called it, the self flagellation of pointing out racist behavior and tone policing from progressives. And and the whole um, uh, let's call it woke McCarthyism, <laughs> you know, that whole woke McCarthyism is precisely 
what is driving the right in what's happening locally and nationally. It's what's driving the right in the opposition to critical race theory. It's right. what's driving the right exactly. in the whole book banning stuff. It's what's, it's, it's what's driving the right in um, teaching, like not teaching divisive concepts. And, you know, you can't make white people feel uncomfortable by saying America's a racist nation, this and that, whatever. What's driving all of that is that as, as we as we progressives, I consider myself a progressive. I don't consider myself a liberal that's outside the scope of this, this podcast. I'm not going to explain that right now. But we, 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 we progressive folks have gotten so far off the rails that we are just declaring moral statements about people and it's causing people to react. And so, and so a critique I have about, about, um, about the book or the thing I like about it is that, yeah, that, that the, the, the behavior from the, from this new woke religion is what's driving a lot of the, um, the stuff from the right. And I'll just say, say it this way. If we keep on going this way, you might as well just be filling out ballots for Republican candidates. So oh, I was going to go somewhere else with that, but but to your point, and I'll just I'll just make it I'll just uh, make it now. My criticism of the book, though, is that he mentions that he's not addressing a certain audience because they're lost. Okay, mm. I get I get what they're saying. He also goes to the point like, I'm not even going to talk to these people. And you shouldn't even try to talk to these people. Okay. But if we keep the don't talk to these people attitude, right. we're only going to keep splitting the country up. Mm -hmm. And my point with that is that somebody has to talk right. to right. quote unquote those people. And right. he uses that phrase, those people. Right. He makes a split distinction. But I think that comes from that whole religion thinking that's in his head. Uh -huh. Those yeah. religious yeah. nuts. Uh -huh. that he, then now he adds the anti-racism nuts. Yeah, it's like know, those zealots. 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 That's the word. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that would be a criticism from him and the book that somebody has to stay. Somebody has to talk to the other side. Um, I get the idea that you think not you, but you know, a person, general you, yeah, you know that they might be zealots or whatnot, or but somebody's going to say the right thing at some point. Um, because otherwise, I mean, you know, you were saying keep writing for or keep voting for Republican. They're going to be more Republican on the ballots and that kind of stuff, and more of of from the right. The zealots on the right are going to keep showing up on school board elections and all that right. kind of stuff well and quite yeah well, and just to be clear that's what i mean yeah. i don't mean hey let's shut out all the republicans or whatever what right. i mean is 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 the way that the left is going now you're going to keep bringing out i'm going to call them the so the fringe nuts on the left are going to keep bringing out the fringe nuts on the right right, right. and yeah, the fringe nuts on the right will win because they're better organized better funded and play a better game politically right it just I, do i i agree about that but, but yeah mike it, you know, there's a, there's a cynicism to the book. 
that uh i don't know um i get it but i'm still uncomfortable with it maybe i'm just still a little bit of an idealist mm -hmm. that there's still something that could be said to bring some of those folks back into the fold i know there's always going to be the extremes yeah i get that i get that yeah but we we can't keep going down the road of i'm not going to talk to these people because ironically and back to jamar tisby both him and mccorder are making the same point from the opposite sides you know because him and tyler talk about leaving loud and i get the sentiment of leaving yeah. loud but it's the same idea don't talk to those people it's just coming from another side see i don't think it is i think it's different i think but, it's different but but the result is the same uh no there it, you guys not. are you guys are irrational you guys don't get it and that's that you guys that don't get it is simplistic i get it i do get it and i'm trying to do it for the sake of time yeah because this, this could be <laughs> yeah. this could be a whole other podcast but the end result is the same that's my point the end result is you're not worth talking to anymore yeah so mm -hmm. so let me say this and then i have one more critique well, one more point on my critique so the leave loud thing it's connected to the leave loud thing. And then you, like you said, you know, like McCord sounds cynical, right? So for me, you know, and you very well know this and soldiers, if you listen to our catalog of podcasts, you know, this too, like I, I have been cynical and burnt out and fried. Right. And so, and so, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm recovering from my cynicism. Right. Um, now I do, I do believe in leaving loud and i do believe in um you know so so when i think about leaving loud, I, I think about shaking the dust off your feet like the biblical idea jesus says you know if you go to the town and you're saying and saying and saying and saying and saying and they're ignoring and ignoring and ignoring at a certain point it's time for you to bounce and shake the dust off your feet so i think leaving loud is in the spirit of that so um for me, leaving loud doesn't mean I don't want to talk to you anymore. Leaving loud means when I leave, I want to leave no uncertain terms of here are the issues that are that are going on here, and you are refusing to acknowledge this or that or whatever, or you're you know, or you are being stiff-necked in a certain way. And so um, I'm going to leave loud, but not with a closed fist, but with an open hand. You know, and so and so I can I can get behind that. And for me, that's that's you know, I didn't in hindsight, you know, I didn't leave as loud as I as I should have, but I did leave a little bit loud, you mm -hmm. know, and and I didn't leave loud with a closed fist. I did leave loud with a broken heart. I did. That's yes, just what did. it is. Yes, right? You know that very well. Mm -hmm. You know, but it wasn't a closed fist, I hate you, this kind of thing. It was right. it was God, this is so messed up. And so right. I don't think And that's a different that posture. It is. Than what I'm than what I'm referring to. Yes. And so and so McWhorter might be like coming at the coming at it from the closed fist and cynicism kind of thing. But I don't think right. that like what Tyler and Jamar were talking about leaving loud, that's not where they were coming from. Because of because after all, they're also Christians. Right. You know, so so they're coming like their come from is also different. So um 
I can I can get behind and and I understand McWhorter cynicism. I get it. I totally get it. You and, you know you know I do. Right. <laughs> and so, but but I also understand that, and I agree with you that we're not going to get anywhere by just going into silos. You know, we need to um, um, reunite and reconcile nationally. You know, and so. Yeah. That's also a thing that I continue to grow in. I'm not, I'm still not a believer in racial concil- or reconciliation. I, I still believe in conciliation, but I also believe in national reconciliation because I do believe that we have an added a, a posture where, where, where we can be reunited. Um, but here's my last critique. My last critique is um, he gives the three solutions. And I actually think those solutions, so, so what, what does he say? He says that um, in the war on drugs, because of what it's done to black people and mass incarceration, that thing, right? Um, and then, like you said, teach everyone how to read phonetically, like with phonetic reading techniques, and then um, make vocational training easy to obtain because not everybody's college bound. I actually, okay, those are fine, but I think they're actually a little bit weak because, because they are, they don't deal they don't deal, in my opinion, with um, the consequences of what of what's happening in disparities every day right now. So, so for instance, you know, um, listeners, as you know, I've said this a, a several, several, several times. I said on this podcast, I've said it on podcasts I've guested on. I've said, I've said it on my Equileader podcast, and that is the fact that I'm a huge believer in putting equity data in performance metrics. I think that's a huge thing to actually address systemic inequalities because systemic inequalities don't happen from nameless, faceless people from quote, the system. They happen from people every day who are making decisions in critical junctures in whether you're in education or social work or business or banking or finance or whatever, they're made one decision point at a time. And so I think you can actually impact societal outcomes and help black people by putting equity metrics in performance evaluations. One example, if you are in banking, if you are a loan officer or a banker or some kind of this, whatever, when you have your annual evaluation, your boss should pull, let's say your loan officer, your boss should pull every loan you wrote that year. And look at those loans and because most of them have where well, you, you can self-disclose race and ethnicity and you can look at credit worthiness and you can look at um, ethnicity and race and you can look at um, neighborhood and that kind of stuff, right? Like for, for, for where you want to buy the house and you can tease out whether or not a loan officer was being discriminatory and rate them and incentivize them accordingly or consequence them accordingly with not getting a raise or getting a smaller raise or whatever. And I bet you when you put performance or equity level data in performance metrics, you things will change. So that's just one example. So so I think his 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 um solutions are actually two and maybe they're even more pie in the sky because he's saying in the war on drugs that's a huge thing in the war on drugs, right? You can get a lot, a lot, a lot farther faster in the small because the small is actually pretty significantly huge. 
Yeah. Oh, that's that's good. I mean, I think he would slightly disagree with you on that. Um, because I think ultimately he would say, okay, that's great. What does that do for the poor person? You know, what does it say to a, a black community in, in the, in, uh, uh, with not a whole lot of money? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, okay. And I'm my house in the first place. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, but, well, just, uh, but the sorry, one more thing. The phonics oh. thing, oh. The phonics thing, and the vote and, and the votech thing is actually really good. Like those two are really good. Yeah, I mean, if all of a sudden vocational schools started appearing, in, and that's another thing. He makes uh, a point of. We keep equating black with poor. That's that, I was just I was just gonna say it because you yeah you said yes yeah because I was you know you know what I mean and that's a very fair point. That's an absolutely fair point. Uh, but if we're going to be specifically talking about lifting up uh-huh. uh, the black community, yep. Okay, um, we are talking. We are talking about some poor black folks. We are. And if if vocational schools started popping up all over the place, mm-hmm. and we change our mindset, which I think that mindset is starting to change about college. I think that's changing in the it, whole. It, it's shifting a little bit. It is. It's shifting. It yeah. So, um, but if, if we put vocational schools, just not just black neighborhoods, just all over the place and stop saying that everybody needs to go to four-year school, mm-hmm. schooling, and that's the answer, like you and I were told. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that was the answer. Yeah. I think, I, I think this whole middle-class thing could be revitalized mm-hmm. and it would solve a lot of, a lot of problems actually. So I do, yeah. I do like that. So anyway. that, that's good. And, and because there's so many folks, so many middle-class folks that aren't college educated, right? You know, they're blue. I mean, they're blue collar folks. How many times have you seen a guy who's a, who, who's a, who's a, a journeyman electrician pulling mm-hmm. a boat behind his, his, his right. big truck. <laughs> that's the whole point of the millionaire next door, the book. Right. So, so yeah, so that, that, that's good. But so that's, that's all the critiques that I think I have. You, you have any more to offer? I don't, I don't have, I don't have any more to, uh, to offer. Actually, I think I think we've covered the basis. Like I said, I, I think, I think most people should read the book. Uh, so, with that, let's do some some closing thoughts. Then, what do you have? My closing thought, as we continue, I mean, it's a loose series that we're doing here. Um, my my thought is to just keep an open mind about what people keep telling you uh, about how things should be. Because the whole catechism of contradictions, that was like the, the, the thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the very least, what, what it did for me is just to, hey, pay attention to what you're thinking about and and at least at the very least question it you know yeah um and as far as as our audience i keep being concerned that this will stop a certain group of people from not doing work that they still need to do anyway 
and let me be more more specific. So let's say, so we've mentioned maybe off air that um, conservatives tend to gravitate to these kinds of books more than liberals, you know, to make it simplistic about the the two party system mm -hmm. or the, the two point of view system. Um, but there, there still needs to be some work done in the sense of, okay, you might have been saying some of these things in the past and maybe people like us or people like myself have, dis have dismissed it because maybe it wasn't coming from the right place. Um, but there, there's still some things that we have mentioned in this, in this podcast, if you've been a regular listener to the podcast, that is still true. It's not like we're disqualifying stuff that we've said right, right. in other episodes. You know, at the very least for Abdul and I, it's just that maybe some of those things are worth taking a second look and maybe questioning it from a different posture. Right. And that's, and that's where I'm at. But that doesn't mean that some of the stuff that we've said in the podcast is just all of a sudden now false. No, no. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, my takeaway, those contradictions for me actually were like interesting to yeah. say the least. Right. And, and the call to action for the audience is especially for, and I'll include myself in this silent minority, silent majority, um, is, man, we need to start speaking out or else, you know, we, we got to start saying, hey, I'm a Democrat, but that Republican is making some good points on X, Y, and Z, and let's work on that. That's pretty sensible. Mm -hmm. You can't say that. No Democrat would say that. No Republican would say, hey, that's a, that's, that's a pretty interesting idea from the Democratic side. Let's go with that. That will get burned. We got to find that path Back. somehow, some way, or else we're done. It's mm -hmm. done. Just it's just a matter of time. You know, the Romans didn't know that their empire was falling, or maybe they did, but it ended. You know, and historians recorded it: a Roman Empire from here to here. That's you know, and the way that we're going. We might be witnessing the end of this empire, right? So, what's the what's the uh, the expression that it ain't over till the fat lady sings? Yeah, well, it could be the fat lady's clearing her throat. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. but all right. So then, my my um, take home point for you soldiers, or, or my action item for you guys, is is somewhat similar. And so, and so, um, because this book is is a book written by a progressive or liberal to liberals basically. Right. Um, and that's what, and this, and this is what we're critiquing. I'm going to say something similar. And, and so I'm speaking specifically to my progressive and liberal friends. What you are doing, if you are a extremist zealot, woke zealot, right. You know, what what you are doing is you were alienating allies. You were alienating people who who a will not only come to your defense but who will stand with you and 
you know, I have, I have, I have often said, you know, that, well, anyway, yeah, but, but that, that's what you're doing. And so, and you're, and you're, you know, isn't any people by saying things like, or not saying because no one's actually said this, but they've implied this. If you don't accept what I'm saying 100% without any question or critique, then you are automatically against me. Right. If you keep behaving that way toward people, what you will do is you will alienate people. This was already happening, you know? And so we can't afford to lose any allies in any of these conversations, you know, like black folks, people of color, people of the diaspora, we can't afford to lose any, any, any allies in this fight against actual systemic racism and systemic change that are making the lives of black folks worse. We can't afford to lose any allies in that. You know, if you are one of our queer friends, you can't afford to lose any allies either. And so just because if you're a black person, if, you, if it just, just because someone says, hey, I don't agree with you, doesn't mean they're against you. It may mean, hey, you know what? I disagree, but I have some questions. For example, me losing my black card here. I've said before, I believe black folks can be racist. And I believe black folks can be racist. And I've said this many times before, I'm not going to get into it now, but I, I believe black folks can be racist because black folks also can express racist ideas. And as a Christian, there's nobody exempt from certain classes of sin. doesn't exist. So anyway, my take home point for you all is just to, as you think about these conversations, think about how the zealousness and the zealotry is like, you know, so let's put it on a continuum, either far right or far left. Right. If you are, if you consider yourself like a far left progressive, you know, and we said before, like Bernie Sanders even said, where, you know, there's no room for moderates in the Democratic Party. You know, if you are, if you are right of a left person and you get dissed, check that. And if you are left of a right person, check that too. So I just think we do need to kind of come back come back a little bit to, to, to some sanity. So my take home yeah. point for you guys is that. So before we head out, I want to tease something that I think we're going to talk about in the next episode. Ooh, a teaser. So, so here's my question to you. It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> but it comes to the point in this book about policies that are supposed to help black people in particular when we talk about race. Okay. And, and it's a point that you've made is we're going to step into the world of education. How is it that in a profession of mostly white liberal women, yep, there's still such a disparity between white and black? Message! To John's point, so right, and when I asked that question, <laughs> the largely progressive audience that I ask it to are looking at me like I have two heads, like I just committed a major faux pas when I bring up that issue. So there's that. There's that. All right. Well, 
that does it for us for now as always if you like the show and the content if you're encouraged or challenged by it please like subscribe share drop us a review all, all the things that will help folks find us and hopefully join the community we can always use more soldiers and thanks in advance for all the love also if you have a question about anything we cover on the show if you have topics you want us to discuss or you just want to reach out, become a member of our community on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian Soldier or email us at hello at christiansoldier.com. So thanks again for listening. I'm Andres. I'm Abdullah. And until next time, keep the faith. Bas. This is. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. The theme song is The Ace by Ballpoint. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development.